Today marks the 400th episode of Tech Talks, and to celebrate, I have four incredible women who've all been on this show before joining me for a conversation to find out whether or not we think the landscape has changed for women in technology over the time that this podcast has been running for about five, six years now, uh, or if it hasn't, what we can do to make sure that that dial does begin to change. So joining me for the show, we've got Vanessa Vallelli, Kat Wildman, Jesse Bello-Perez, and Veronica Vergalis. So we'll dive straight into that conversation and then have a little bit of chatter from our regular co-hosts afterwards. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast powered by the Harvey Nash Group. I'm your host, David Savage. Enjoy our milestone show. Right, for this 400th episode of the podcast, we're doing something slightly different. Instead of having one guest, we've got four amazing guests, four women who've all been on the podcast before. So rather than do lots of intros, uh, we will post links back to various episodes that you've been on, either as guests or co-hosts. But we have got four women with voices, hopefully representative of more than just the UK, whilst we've got Kat and Vanessa, who are from the UK. We've got Vero, who works in Germany and is from Latin America. And we've got Jesse, who's also works in the UK, but is from, from Spain originally. So thank you all for giving up some time to, to chat to me this morning. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. us. Yeah, so excited to be here. Now look, the yeah. podcast has been around, what? It's taken us about six years to get to 400 episodes. So I was just intrigued to find out whether or not any of you felt that much had changed in six years? I, I will probably go and suggest that Kat, you start because before we hit record, you you were fairly depressed that you didn't think a lot had changed. Oh my gosh! Well, that was where I went first. I thought, obviously, you know, being a data obsessive, I, I went to the stats and I was like, I need reports and I need stats to be able to empirically discover whether we've changed. Um, but actually, uh, yeah, the stats stats wise, I mean, it's bare, the needle has barely moved. However, I do feel like you know, on reflection, attitudes, I can't, I can't decide whether it's me that's changed or whether it's people's attitudes that have genuinely changed. But I do personally feel that the world has moved on um, five years from where we were. Um, and I think you and I did a, a podcast about exactly five years ago. And, and it was everyone was, you know, rampantly talking about women in tech and what do we do and what do we do and I feel like there's a lot more solutions now people aren't walking around in a panic anymore so in in conclusion I feel like yes attitudes have definitely moved on and mindsets have moved on potentially not everybody but uh there is some positivity there and I I have also moved on (laughs) Dave I can chime in on this one I think you know as, as much as the data doesn't back it up it's, it's roughly five years since we built wearetechwomen.com um, as a platform for everything that was going on for women in tech. And we, I mean, five years ago, we built, that, we built that entire website and all of its kind of 40 pages in three days. Now, if we'd have rolled back 10 years or even 13 when I first started We Are The City, it was a slow news day for anything remotely gender orientated or anything like that. You know, there wasn't, we hadn't even had Lord Davis at that particular point telling us that we need 30% of women on boards. So even five years ago, just to populate a website with what was going on for women in tech was a bit of an eye opener to me because all of a sudden what you had was a load of these not-for-profit organizations, um, you know, women with good hearts and minds saying, this is enough's enough, we're going to set up our own thing and plug the gaps that we're not perhaps getting developed within our firms or we're not seeing where those opportunities are. 
So that was, I mean, it was quite a shock for us, for me and my team, that we was able to amass so many women's networks in tech, so many different initiatives, code clubs, things like that, things that were pushing kids towards tech as well. So I'm not saying, you know, even in those five years, they, that, that kind of number of initiatives has only got bigger, yet we're still at 17% in the UK and 16% of women in tech globally. So I think, you know, in terms of what kind of needs to happen, I think, you know, the corporates and, and the government need to step up. You know, we talk about the digital skills gap and stuff. You've got all of these amazing people who have been doing things often off the side of their desks, scrabbling around for a bit of corporate sponsorship, me included, you know, to get some of these things off the ground. But we, we need a little bit more help because that 17% number isn't going anywhere. If anything, it's going down. Um, we're still not getting girls into STEM subjects. Uh, even if we do, we lose them after A-level or, you know, they get off degree, they go into different industries. And again, it's a lot of it's to do with the curriculum and stuff like that. It's just not sexy enough to encourage, you know, people into the industry, you know, so there's a lot of work to be done. And people like Tech She Can that have created lesson plans in schools, um, other organisations, Digi, Digi Learning, you know, they're doing a great job, but we need something more to, from the government or some someone else if we're ever going to shift that number. So I'm with Kat. That you know, you look at the data. There's no progress there, but I also see these amazing, incredible individuals on the entrepreneur side. You know, incubators, accelerators for women that we never had. So there's movement. Whether or not it's moving us towards the ultimate goal, I'm not quite sure yet. Can I weigh in on this as well? Um, I and I have. I have to admit that I have absolutely no scientific data to support this, other than my impression. Um, I've been in tech for good for quite some time at this point, and I've seen a change like in the last five years on one side of like the funding of tech for good, like the funding of tech for good is definitely growing, but I see something very interesting. Women look at the world a bit differently. Obviously we can generalize and we can say that it's in all cases like this. But what I've gotten to see is that more and more in tech for good and in social companies, there are more women entrepreneurs, even than men. So by accident, in a way, by, by, the, by, by this being our interest and the, the funding for this kinds of projects increasing, that might be very well supporting women in tech. I'm not sure if this like really reflects on the data. I have no idea. But I've, I have seen over the last five years, more and more women in tech for good and more and more support for tech for good. So I think is, is this new generation, like what's coming with Gen Z is probably like, they're gonna be even more in this space as millennials and other generations that have already gone through. So again, I have no scientific data to back this up, but I have seen more and more and more female entrepreneurs in this area. So Vero, just on that stats thing, I think it's 1% of funding goes to women entrepreneurs and 0.1% to women of colour. So we have a hell of a long way to go. And, you know, and again, we've seen some great initiatives come out, you know, around supporting female founders and more kind of female orientated um, accelerators as well. If you look at the recent Femtech one that's kind of going on at the moment, which is a huge, massive market. Um, but again, as I say, how do you shift that 1%? you know, quickly, how do we accelerate that? You know what, just very quickly on Vero's point, and Vanessa, this, this uh, the conversation that's bringing to, to mind might have actually been uh, one of the panels or, or interviews that I've recorded for One Tech World, your conference yep. that's coming up in 
in just a few short weeks. Uh, so the 11th to the 13th of May, right? It is indeed. Yes. And uh, that was along the lines of where you said, you know, is, is tech sexy enough? Uh, are we kind of getting young women through education? Um, it, it was along the lines of more women will go into an industry if they see that there's significant impact from the actions of what they're doing. And I suppose to Vero's point, maybe if, if technology actually can uh, affect things like climate change yeah. and those kind of issues, more women may be inclined to go down that career path because they think they can make a difference and maybe that's a link that's been missing. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote an article on this on LinkedIn the other day and I really, really think that this, exactly the points that that, um, that Vero and Vanessa have just made is that it's that's exactly where women are going to start pouring into tech when they realise that they can make a difference and it's not just about, you know, the hockey stick curve. It could be the hockey stick curve of helping other people and making community change and seeing, you know, changing the world. And mm -hmm. like, you know, you speak to kids in schools and you say, put your hand up if you want to go into tech and like maybe three three boys will be like, yeah, like half-heartedly. But then you say to the girls, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, I want to be a YouTuber. I really care about this. And they've got a cause and they care about stuff. And you're like, that's technology. You need to get into tech. And that's my point, Kat, right, about going in and dispelling women. So one of the things we do like with our Tech Women 100 winners is we give them an award, but with that award comes great responsibility, right? We want them to go into schools. We want them to tell their stories. We want them to dispel some of those myths around, you know, tech is sitting behind a keyboard coding, and which is a fantastic part of the profession. You know, that's how we get things to work. But there are so many other facets to the industry that we're in. And it's how do we kind of get that across? I would just literally echo everything that everyone said so far, but I think the biggest change for me, and again, I don't have the data to back it up, but I know that the stats are generally quite um, frustrating, angering, dismaying, like attach any other adjective to that as you will. Um, but I think people of my generation specifically, and specifically women, I think we feel much more empowered in the workplace than we did maybe 10 years ago. I think, like we were saying before we started recording, you know, sometimes it takes something super tragic to kind of change the narrative and spur change. And I think the Me Too movement was pivotal. Um, I think people, uh, women, are much more likely to speak up now than they were maybe five, 10 years ago. But I think one of the biggest things that I've seen from my perspective as a journalist is actually that tech has been demystified. And it's precisely what Kat was saying. Like, I remember going to my primary school, like maybe even three years ago and asking that same question. And it was just the boys that put their hand up. And actually, it, it was, again, you know, them thinking about Instagrams or social media or YouTube or video. Um, and I think people for so long have associated coding with just technology. And I'm not saying that that's not the case. And we should not, uh, of course, we should be encouraging women to become coders and do whatever they want, right? That That's that's the whole point, that, that, that kind of message in terms of like the world is your oyster. But I also remember we did a panel, Dave, like a few years ago um, in Shoreditch. I remember mm -hmm. there was free beer and free pizza, pizza but that might not necessarily <laughs> remind you because that was kind of like the norm back then. Oh, um, I remember. <laughs> but somebody on the panel said you know of course women can work in technology there's loads of women working in marketing and HR and I kind of like put my hand up there and I was like hang on a second why are we pigeonholing women to just work in those key functions in tech businesses like we need to change the way we we talk and language is such a powerful um 
thing around that right like and myself as a journalist like I see it all the time and I've been guilty of it of course but I think that we all have our own personal journey to learn and to actually try and do better so one thing I can't stand is when publications for example refer um, to uh, women who are entrepreneurs as like mumtrepreneurs do you know what I mean? Like, and that just makes me so angry because if you're interviewing or profiling a man who set up his own company or whatever that might be, you don't refer to him as a dad entrepreneur. Like he's just a male, a co-founder. Um, so I think it kind of like extends to every reach. Like language is so important. And I think we all need to make a huge effort in terms of how we use words and how we refer to people because um, it's kind of branding, isn't it? And like people, especially like the younger generation, totally pay attention to that. And I've seen it in the workplace. I've learned more from my female colleagues um, at work over the last two years than I have done in my entire career. Um, and I have to say I'm 32, but women in their 20s, they know everything and it's quite scary, right? Um, so yeah, I, I do think we have a long way to go, but I do think that the conversations that are happening at the moment are, are very powerful. Well, I think one of the problems is also like kind of having to force this narrative on female entrepreneurship. I, I, me as an entrepreneur, I want to be known as an entrepreneur. I want to be able to stand on a, on a stage pitching about my work and not having to fear that when I'm going to get the question of how many kids do you have or when are you going to have kids? Because I've been asked that question on stage before and I would love to not having my genitalia define my capacities, right? So I think we, of course, need to focus on creating the space for women. And I think I'm hoping that um, the, the space is being created with more, as we spoke before, with more um, funding, with more accelerator spaces. But I hate it that we are, we have to wear kind of like the, the, the pink flag of I am a female entrepreneur all the time. And if I want to go show up with high heels one day and the next day with my, my flip-flops, that should be fine. Nobody should ask me about like if today I'm in my period or things like that as an entrepreneur. But also, I think people forget men have kids too, right? Um, and I know that historically women have like burnt, like bore the brunt of like, we've seen it through the pandemic. I can't remember the stats specifically, but throughout COVID, like women, especially in the US, and I know it's probably the case elsewhere, unfortunately, but they've kind of taken on extra responsibilities in terms of like homeschooling and caring um, for partners, care, other family members, and they're leaving the workplace in droves. Like that is not okay. Um, you know, we can't let this set us back like 10 years. And I think... We often, I often get asked the question and like, oh, tell me, uh, you know, a woman in business or a woman in tech that you look up to. And I think, well, actually, to be quite honest with you, my mother and my grandmother, like they've worked their entire lives. They've come from whatever backgrounds, they've built up businesses, they've worked really hard. They've made sure that my, you know, we never had to like want or need for anything. I don't need necessarily a role model in terms of when it comes to changing the world. I think often we forget we have those role models at home. Um, so yeah, and I've been asked as well, like, when are you planning on having kids? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Are you planning on getting a puppy? Like, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, and, you know, but I also think a lot of men are really scared of saying the wrong thing. Um, I agree with that. I, you know, we talk about a lot of the thing, we're just about... Um, 
don't know when this is going to go out, but we're just about to release a really, really large survey um, of global women in tech, which is really interesting. And, and some of the questions that focus there is around male allyship. And, and when you, I've done lots of focus groups with guys that go, look, we want to help, but we're not quite sure what that looks like. And that's not a bad thing because um, a lot of these, these gentlemen have, have been in these senior tech roles for years. They're in the positions of power. They're the ones that can call out you know, sometimes when a woman is getting spoken over or can call out sexist behavior or can look at the promotions and go, actually, that doesn't look right to me because that's not balanced right. It's not diverse enough and stuff like that. So they're the individuals that we need to get to because we never achieve parity, whether we're talking about technology, whether we're talking about gender, without men at the table and they're having that allyship. But again, I think we have to be a little bit kind of take a step back and say, well, look, this is what that looks like. This is what good sponsorship looks like and I often tell the story of a gentleman uh, in one of the organizations that I was at he decided it wasn't good enough you know that the women weren't being visible were visible within the organization so what he did is he took it off his own back he would be a sponsor of three women um, he would take them along to his meetings so he'd walk in the room with one each of them and he'd say I'm sponsoring this woman um, you know she's part of my department I'm going to give her some visibility as to what's going on in this meeting and through that, she got to watch what was happening. She expanded her network because she got to meet his leadership team. Everyone knew she was, and he was doing this for a number of women. But the really interesting thing about that was the gentlemen that were sitting around the table were like, we need to be doing this too. So they all went and got, and they kind of started sponsoring other women, you know? So it was that learnt kind of behavior because he was demonstrating what that looked like. But he also used to give this cohort of women examples of his work and say, look, I've got to go into a meeting and make a decision based on these papers, read the papers, tell me what decision you would make. There's no wrong or right answers. And so he was giving them experience of his world. And I, and I personally thought that was a fantastic example of what good sponsorship looks like. And when you think about that, that's not hard for people to adopt. You don't need to pay consultants thousands of pounds to come in and show you how to do that, right? So that whole male allyship, I think, is really, really important if we're going to, again, progress in the industry. Just to jump in on the pandemic point, because I know the stats are bad in terms of what's happened to gender norms during the pandemic. And, and obviously, there's been a lot of research around it. But why like i don't i i genuinely i don't quite understand how that's happened because surely there's lots of men at home who quite like i know i know for a fact that my brother-in-law has taken more time off work and loves spending days with his two and a half year old son and shares a lot of the parenting duty with my sister and i kind of would think that's surely kind of the natural reaction to what's going on surely there's a massive opportunity to balance things with the situation that we find ourselves in especially with kids back in school and perhaps some of that extra pressure that parents have been put under loosening up a little bit right I think there was an article wasn't there Kat probably knows that it was said that it was a majority of the women that took on the childcare responsibilities initially and maybe it was that you could look at pay gap is it because you know the man earns more so he had to be more visible he had to be in the office you know he had to be more seen and the women just naturally picked up the slack of you know the homeschooling and stuff which was absolutely terrible and a, a second time around in lockdown the schools had got their act together so they were putting 
real pressure on the parents, like rigging them up, saying homework's due in and, and stuff like that. So we, yeah, we did come off the back, the back end of COVID in a number of ways, right, David? It wasn't just work, domestic violence. You know, they mm. was going to can pay gap this year. And it was only, and you know, we had the we had the campaigns ready. You know, I think it was Wackle sent me a t-shirt, reinstate the pay gap. We were ready to fight because that's the only measurement that we've really got. So I think you're right. When you talk to younger generations of men, they do want that balance. But for the older generation, and again, I'm not a man, I can't speak for their lived experience, but that kind of that mantra around we go to work, like hunter-gatherer thing, you know, never got there by accident. So I don't know whether it's a combination of that. I think whatever the future world of work looks like, there definitely will be more balance because we've seen it working. We know that productivity hasn't dropped. If we can get back to this hybrid of, we pop in the office one, two days a week for connections and brainstorms, and that's where the innovation happens, then great. But I think the companies that want presenteeism and to go back, if I remember my world of investment banking, where you'd fly in on the red eye from New York and you'd shower at Heathrow, you'd beat your desk by nine and you would stay there till six. I think that's gone. And I think if companies continue with that, making people go back to the to work and stuff, they'll lose the war on talent. It's a simple, and the youngsters will not tolerate it. I think there's a cultural component too. Like we're thinking, or at least you guys are speaking, speaking more about what is happening in the UK. But if we take Latin America, um, in Latin America, informal work is huge. More women are doing informal work than men. And in, in most cases, when the, there was lockdown, those, those jobs just simply disappeared because the companies had no obligation. So in a way, this, this role of the, of the provider was even more thrown at men. And on top of that, you have like, we come from a culture that is still a lot more macho dominated than other places in the world. And I think like in, in a normal, like pre-pandemic situation, men could spend more time with their children and still not be called names or not be, um, I don't know, not, not diminished because they wanted to take on this more feminine role. So I think is is a very cultural thing as well. I think there was there was also the, the aspect, sorry, sorry, Jesse, of um a benevolent bias at play where employers were making putting the women, a lot of women on furlough because they knew that they they were trying to cope with young kids at home. And the employers were saying, you know, let you just get paid, relax, don't, you know, don't think about work, you sort out the childcare. And then the redundancies came along and they're, they're going to be the first on the list to go. And so I think that has a lot that has a lot to do with it as well. But I was speaking to my husband about this really honestly and said, you know, fair play to you, because at the beginning of lockdown, I quit my job um, to start a business. And so <laughs> there was homeschooling to do. There were domestic duties. And I was like, we're splitting it 50 50. When are your calls? When are my calls? And we coordinated our diaries. And there wasn't for us, there wasn't even a flicker of, oh, don't worry, I'm going to take this on because I'm a female. It was like, we made these kids together, buddy. You know, you put the washing on, you give them their dinner, <laughs> and don't just give them fish fingers and chips every day. Sorry, Jesse, you go. No, I was just going to say as well that there was a there was a um a report I can't remember how long ago because obviously like you'll know this better than I do Kat like when you're writing you just kind of do all, all sorts and you then actually um, struggle to remember specifically um but it, it kind of talked about um the percentage of men that felt really uncomfortable when their um, partners like um actually kind of um earned more than them 
and I remember this kind of like cause to stir on Twitter and it was a few months ago and I remember like saying to my husband as well like you know let's have a really honest conversation here like how do you feel and he literally turned around and was like Jesse feel free go out earn six figures earn more I don't care like whatever whatever makes you happy will make me happy and I think like I often just think well it's exactly what Kat was saying like we're a team and whatever benefits me is going to benefit the both of us and, and you know, vice versa. But uh, I was just shocked because I think sometimes it's really hard to see beyond your own like personal experience. And I forget that a lot of people out there, not even just women, like men as well, like actually have these kind of struggles and conversations. And I'm kind of like, we're in 2021. Who cares who earns more and, you know, who does more and who's more successful? Um, but I just think also on what Vera was saying, like when I think about Spain, I don't want to generalize either, but it is very much like macho driven. Um, and I, whenever I, none of my friends from back home will be listening to this, but so I have freedom. <laughs> whenever I go back on holiday and stuff, um, you do have the conversations around, it just seeps in. It's not something that you necessarily talk about specifically, but they say stuff. Um, around like their work or what they're expected to do or what society expects of them or you know they'll make a comment about or somebody a woman that we all know because of she's not had kids or you'll go back home and like the older people asking me constantly when are you getting pregnant I'm like oh my god I didn't realize my uterus was like a national conversation topic um but I do think it is also cultural and I think people in Spain as well, like, uh, you know, the conversation is obviously changing, especially around younger people. Um, but I really struggle over there because I feel like a complete alien just because I have a job and I'm earning and and I don't necessarily, um, you know, I, I didn't get married necessarily to have kids. I'd love to have a family, but that will happen if it happens, when it happens. It's not like the be all and end all. Whereas I do feel like there's a huge pressure over there to kind of just breed. <laughs> it took the IDB to select me and my company as one of the top innovators of Latin America and the Caribbean for my mother to stop telling me, you should look for a drafting job. Like, you know how to draw, like uh, go, go find something normal. Like you have no idea how it means to like, go to your parents, Latin America, and say, okay, I'm trying to change the world through technology. I'm trying to end corruption through technology. And they're like, yeah, no, mm, no, no. Go go find yourself something. Like maybe you can even be like a secretary, a secretary in Germany or, or coffee shop. That would work too. <laughs> My granddad won't be listening to this either. So I have to preface it with saying it, that he is an amazing, intelligent man who's had two daughters and he's always said to them, whatever you do, make sure you're financially independent. And bearing in mind, he's like 84. That's really forward thinking, right? Um, but at the same time, when I was going off to uni, he said to me, you know, why don't you become a paralegal or a nurse or um, or this or that? And I'm not saying that in a derogative way to, against like paralegal nurses or anything like that. But I'm like, well, why can't I be a lawyer or a doctor? Or, you know, it's the kind of language that's used that and people, it's a bias that people have and they're not necessarily like aware of it. And I think that's the really dangerous um, part and that seeps into technology and it seeps into every sector. And I think that's why we need to make sure that every single woman who's in tech, I think we've all got an obligation to go and speak in schools and stuff like that because some kids will be hearing stuff like that from their parents, right? And, you know, around what they can and what they can't do and, and don't get me wrong that's you know your parents want to give you advice and it's sound advice and stuff like that but just sometimes just 
being able to articulate to a young person what your world looks like, to show a role model that looks like them, that sounds like them, that actually we don't have to fit into those stereotypes or, you know, we don't have to go into particular jobs because that's seen as the path that we need to kind of go down. I think that's really, really important, you know, for people like Vero that's setting up a business, you know, that's challenging, you know, society, you know, and challenging things in our country, which is, is hugely brave. But for her to tell her story to a, a young young girl to think, do you know what, I can be a Vero, you know, so I think, you know, I think that's incredible. And that's what we need to do. Let's get to the youngsters. <laughs> this conversation could run and run. Uh, and I appreciate that I said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you for like 20, 25 minutes. Um, so as a way of wrapping up, and Vero, I know you're about to come in on a point, so I'll hand over to you in a second. But um, give me something. I mean, Vanessa, you've kind of you've started there, but give, give, give us something to be, to be optimistic that things could change or should change over the next five years if, if the stats haven't seen change over the last five years. Well, I'll go back to the thing of building We Are Tech Women. If I think of how far we've come... And again, that wasn't from the previous five years. That's probably a year that it took to get to that particular point. If we can fit out a website with all these things going on for tech, imagine where we're going to be in five years' time. So that's the positivity that I take away. But I really do hope during that point we won't need all of these diversity and inclusion initiatives because we're just everyone in society will have a seat at the table. So that's my positivity. I will say that from like the light at the end of the tunnel is you put a post on Instagram and you immediately got three female founders and an amazingly influential female tech journalist going, yeah, I'm in. You know, you didn't have to go and ask 20 million people, oh God, can you find any women? We all were just like, yeah, sure, sounds great. So all of us are going to be aware of the issues and we're going to be looking out for mini uses coming up and we're going to be helping our fellow women and giving people a leg up and sharing our platform. So that is definitely positive. You've got at least four. <laughs> For me, it's kind of if I look at it through the future of work lens, I think it's we're really literally in a very exciting time. Um, and I also think it's a huge opportunity for businesses everywhere to kind of take stock, think about what they've done previously, what wasn't working and how they need to do better. And I'm just hopeful and optimistic that, you know, diversity inclusion will be a huge part of that. Um, and maybe it's also me being a little bit naive, but I, from the conversations that I'm having with industry, a lot of HR practitioners, but also the C-suite are being very intentional about um, DE&I, but also purpose and belonging. Um, so I'm hopeful that we will reap the fruits of those efforts. I think for me, and I, I just can't separate the like the tech and women and all of this with sustainability. So I think the positive for me is that this spaces to create sustainability driven companies is growing and growing and growing maybe not, not as fast as we want but but i see it as an exponential change and i think that i i just can't be happier with that uh with that i don't know future thinking that we can really really do this I want to thank you all for your time. I will make sure that in the show notes, there are links to all of your profiles so that people can find out a little bit more about you each uh, very easily. But yeah, thanks for your time. It's, uh, it's been really fun to catch up. Before anything else, 400 episodes. Uh, thank you, you two, for, for being ever present for the last year. You've probably been on about the last 100 on and off now. Mm, 400, round of applause. That. Yeah, for us, for us, yeah, for everyone in, in, included, and well and all the other former fallen hosts who've been Soldiers. killed in the line of duty. <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jack, Mary, and the wee donkey. Oh. Uh, 
Jack, Alyssa, Robin, Kat, Courtney. Uh, Evie, Courtney. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, but thank you for helping us to get to this, Mark. Uh, I was having a look through some of the stats. And look, we'll get onto something serious in a minute. But there was one that genuinely surprised me, right? Um, we have been listened to uh, 126 times in Mongolia. Big up the Mongolian people. How right on now. earth? I mean, is that like one super fan in Mongolia? Or is that like three or four people listening to it quite regularly? Like, not one or two listens. 126 times this show has been listened to in Mongolia. Do, do, do you reckon, do you reckon wow. someone's like gone to Mongolia from another place, but then they've just downloaded it for the trip there? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, do you know what I'm saying? That, again, that is a serious level of commitment to this yeah. podcast. Yeah, to yeah, go to it's, Mongolia. It's, 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 it's like... To, um, it's like, you know, when you go for like a long drive or, or like a walk or something and you load up a couple of things on your phone that you're going to listen to, maybe they've loaded up 126 episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've yeah. had a walk to Mongolia and listened. No. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what, Dave? Actually, if that person or people, whoever they are, they they, they, they should get in touch with us, isn't it? They should, yes. like, if you email, are yeah, or DM listening us, to yeah. this show, in Mongolia, get in touch. Hundred yeah. percent. It's not once or are. twice. It, it's hundreds of times, and we are really interested to know what you make of this show or how you stumbled across it. Because, yeah, yeah, we applaud you for your support. Thank you. Just yeah. surprised the hell out of me. There we go. <laughs> make must it really like listening to us chat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, though, the the interview today was not chatting shit. Oh no, this is a serious one. It was. It was good. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, um, Akish, a lot of men are scared of saying the wrong thing. Did mm. that resonate with you? It does. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it, but I, I think it's more a lot of men are scared to say the wrong thing because they don't want to be perceived as, you know, being like a male chauvinist or fitting the stereotype of you know males not really thinking about females, kind of. Um, feelings or or you know thinking of it from someone else's shoes so yeah it, it does resonate but also i think if you're trying to address an issue if you're if you're trying to talk about it and you, if you get the terminology wrong or you say something wrong at least you are willing to talk about it and address an issue do you know what i mean yeah. like i think I, th- I think there's so much kind of i guess just cautiousness around being politically politically correct and and saying the right things you both know I kind of just say what's on, well what comes to my mind without really thinking after time but um so I, I do get myself into trouble but yeah just you know if, if a man's addressing some sort of an issue and, and, and really actually trying to be positive and implement change then yeah like give him give him the space so there's our disclaimer from the two guys on this show if, if, if we say anything wrong <laughs> The quiche yeah. has articulated our little bit of a disclaimer. Hey, uh, in in the in the interview though, they talk about tech not being sexy enough to attract girls into the industry, uh, and it's all about the perception. Um, so they kind of go into schools and they say who's interested in 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 technology, and you know, predominantly boys put their hands up and girls don't and then girls say that they want to kind of do something like youtube or they want to get into or they want to do something that they care about and use the platform for like a um uh a like climate change or for addressing an issue that they feel is really important and that is technology but it's just not 
perceived as technology and the way that we're selling it to the whole next generation is out of date and isn't in line with actually what the realities of, of the technology industry are. Yeah, definitely. I think you answered it yourself there. I think it's it's not being sold to females that as as like you know as, as the things that they enjoy. So I, I think I feel like you could tell um, people about technology, and you're going to have to to speak about it on every single level because not everyone is going to find the same thing interesting. Especially like when you mention those things, I think those things are quite creative. They're quite quite outspoken. There's definitely areas where they can where technology and you can get involved with technology like that um and then there's also technology where if you just kind of want to like you want to code you want to do this you want to build this technology you want to work on a platform then you can do that but I think it's definitely the core of it is in school and learning about it and having the opportunity shared with you about right this is I know someone like this this is this is x what person they do this this is what their role involves and that's going to find some some females might see oh my god that's quite creative I'd quite like to get involved with that but they need to show it as in like what someone looks like in that role or what their role looks like or what it could do or what you could be doing in the future and just basically having synergies between the things and it has to work for everyone I feel like I'll ramp that on but it has to be something that can't just be so narrow-minded it does seem to be particularly though that that women look for something that it has a direct kind of you know that their their actions actually have an impact a positive impact in the yeah. world which makes men sound I'm, I'm, you know a lot more callous necessarily <laughs> no. yeah but you know I suppose it's that that that's I don't want to say stereotyped image but kind of a Greta Thunberg character who really cares about something passionately is probably far more likely to be female perhaps than male in mainstream press like you're more likely to kind of go here's someone who's got like an an issue and they're driving at it uh and and that if we utilize tech in that way it will connect more with young girls and keep them interested and engaged in technology because they can see that it could do something to to make a difference i agree with that yeah but i also think that we need to find out what young females find attractive first you Mm. mentioned like blogging and youtube and instagram and all these things like i mean yeah they're they're popular at the moment all right that's fine but it would be good for for them to actually understand that there's still a lot of things that they can do in those areas in the back end like you know with stuff like instagram social media algorithms data system stuff do you know what I mean? Like mm. even helping develop that kind of software. So for example, if a girl is sat there for like, you know, a lot of the stuff at the moment that I see women on social media kind of be very passionate about is kind of body image and, you know, kind of promoting things without, you know, kind of filters and, and actually, you know, showing the the positivity in, in looking different and being different. So, you know, if, if there are females that feel strongly about that, they could do a lot of those things on the back end you know you don't always have to be an influencer and search for that blue tick and you know kind of get brand deals and stuff like that like you know if if we had an influx of of young girls or females you know in industries in these kind of social media kind of giants that could help you know kind of drive initiatives the right way that would be powerful um yeah i don't know if you i don't know if you you agree with that but you know rather than kind of just starting campaigns and stuff i think if they actually went into these organizations but also these organizations open their doors for them as well um 
I reckon that 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 could be a great way of, you know, being passionate and changing things as well. Mm. And also, you yeah. know how before you were saying about um, when we before we started the interview, it was about making sure you say the right or the wrong thing. I just wanted to go back to that because I even feel like that sometimes. Not so much against females, but say like how we're speaking now about this, and even when I was speaking before, I said. Um, things that would attract females but not everything it, you know like I feel even a bit like oh god that's not a diverse thing to say we're just naming people as female or male and there it's not just that and I feel like that's not the right thing to say so it is just like a you, I feel like you never really feel like you're saying the right thing a little bit do you know what I mean or, you, or you're mm. very cautious like even after I said that I thought oh god was that the right thing to say mm. but it's tricky because what you know as as as, as we point out in the interview like 16% globally, 17% um, in the UK in terms of numbers of women involved in the industry. So you've got to kind of, I suppose you've got to go men and women and what are the differences yeah. to try and get to the root of what that problem is and why Why are we not seeing a conversion of numbers and more people coming into the industry? Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that's very true. But also I think, um, I do think there, there was a bit in the interview where it was like, you know, um, I think one of the, the panelists was there kind of five years ago and she'd come back, I think, after five years. But if you look at where the industry was five years ago and some of the great initiatives that they talked about with, you know, changing kind of school syllabuses and um, being part of kind of educating girls, getting them into more kind of STEM related programs. I think we have come a long way, even in the what couple of years um, that we've been doing this podcast. We have seen well, I've been doing it. Um, I've seen a, a kind of bit of a change within the industry. Um, and I think the pandemic's probably helped us because it's given people the time to learn and hone in on skills that maybe they always kind of left to another time. And, and the pandemic gave us that time. But I think, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot more that could be done. And with the, the ladies that we had on, we should definitely get them. Um, yeah, definitely kind of, throw their work out there a bit more and, and spread the word which is what we try to do yeah. correct welcome to tech talk <laughs> episode four <laughs> <laughs> right i think um i think we'll end it there given that uh the interview itself was i i as you can tell i i lost control i, I thought it was going to be 20 minutes and it ended up being more like half an hour but when it was as good as conversation as it was there's no harm in that um guys thank you very much for joining me today and everyone who's helped us get to 400 episodes thank you as well uh let's see if we make it to five or six or seven hundred eh? definitely mate yep I don't Yeah.